Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Radio Show. I'm really excited to have our guest on tonight who will be calling in shortly, and it's going to be Charlie Sabin of the hard rock band Attention Deficit Society. So he's going to be coming on shortly. And before I bring him on, I'd like to do a brief introduction about the concept of my show as well as an introduction for the band Attention Deficit Society. Please check them out at Attention Deficit Society on Reverb Nation. So ReverbNation.com slash Attention Deficit Society. I also have a ton of information in the chat room right now if anyone wants to call in tonight or if you just want to get some information on the band that is uh, going to be calling in. Also, if you want to call in to ask questions, you can dial 805-243-1320. And again, that information is available in the chat room. So I just want to start out uh, the concept of my show. I can't believe it's almost been a year now, and I'm really excited that the year anniversary is coming up the end of this March. And first and foremost, I just really want to say thank you to all the amazing guests and fans that I've had over the course of the year uh, tune into the show and on the show. The show would not be what it is today without all these amazing people. And, again, I really appreciate your support, and it is my also honor uh, to support all these amazing artists um, and talented people in the entertainment industry that I've had on the show. So first and foremost, as I said, thank you to everyone. Um, so I want to give you a little background information. And I'm sorry, it's been a long day, so if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. And maybe you'll understand in a minute. Uh, my background is in clinical psychology. I have my doctorate degree in clinical psychology uh, with a focus on the clinical and uh, forensic aspects of the field. And one of the things I really enjoy doing is interviewing people which is kind of how this show started all about. The other aspect of myself is that I am involved in the entertainment industry in a variety of aspects. I do some writing for some magazines where I combine marketing concepts along with advertising and psychology. And also I have an album out as a singer-songwriter. It's a full-length album. And if anyone's interested, you can type my name, Carrie Edelman, into iTunes, and you will find it there. And uh, secondly and thirdly is the radio show. So I really wanted to bring together my fascination with the entertainment industry coupled with my passion for interviewing people and provide a forum where I could really support people out there that are trying to get their names out there and push their products. And that's really what the show comes down to uh, in the end is it's about supporting people and helping people out. Um, I personally know how difficult it can be to be an independent person in the entertainment industry doing everything on your own. So here we go with the show. Um, So on my show, you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like and what it's like to be in their profession. And also, I do kindly request a couple things to keep in mind. I do want people to be able to feel open to talk about whatever they like, whether it's the people who call in um, or the guests on my show. But the one thing I do request is that people keep information anonymous Um, As a show, although I want people to share humiliating, embarrassing, entertaining stories, I don't want them to uh, talk about any specific names or organizations. So you can can talk in more general terms. 
Um, and also, just uh, please keep in mind that you have no problem answering any psychology-related questions, um, as long as, again, it's in more of a general and broad format because the show isn't meant to provide any type of therapy or formal, formal treatment. And uh, personally, I know, especially, well, actually with anyone in the entertainment industry, to be honest with you, everyone has their own fair share of uh, stories and horrible experiences and personality-disordered uh, people they've encountered along the way that have probably made things uh, difficult and uh, entertaining at times for them. So we can talk about all those types of things, too. Okay. So it looks like Charlie is calling. Let me tell you guys Attention Deficit Society. And, again, you will just learn some amazing stuff about Charlie tonight, um, who is the uh, lead singer for the band as well as one of the songwriters. And to give you some background information, he had uh, hooked up with producer, engineer Tariq, Gani, and I, I apologize if I mispronounced his name, and Charlie can uh, get me uh, on track if I did, um, who is an amazing uh, engineer and producer. So they had hooked up back in 2008, and uh, they started uh, doing some songwriting together, and they just found that they really enjoyed working with each other, and they were putting out some amazing material. So that's kind of how um, Attention Deficit Society got started. So as they were putting the... Uh, the band together and trying to find the members. They were going through the list of the best players that they could uh, find for the band, and that came to uh, drummer Mike May, who came on board, as well as bassist Jeff Scott. And again, they're working with, and Charlie can comment tonight, on so many other amazing musicians that have been guest musicians um, that are appearing on a lot of their songs. And uh, they're going to be releasing their album soon. And the album is called Songs of the Matter. And we're going to feature a couple of the hit singles off of it tonight. And uh, Charlie is also just, he's been around the block. So he really knows the entertainment industry. Uh, he's recorded with labels such as RCA, Roadrunner, MCA, Greenhouse, and Versailles in the past. And he has toured nationally and internationally numerous times with uh, many amazing acts. Um, he's also been a songwriter, and he's co-written songs with the likes of Jamie Kyle, who has worked with Hart and Faith Hill, Jack Pawnee, uh, who's worked with Bon Jovi and Alice Cooper, and um, Vic Pepe, who's also worked with Alice Cooper. So he'll share those experiences. And finally, again, we are going to promote the hell out of this album tonight that they're going to be releasing, talk about upcoming shows, as well as hear about his uh, past experiences, because he was in a lot of very well-renowned bands in the past, and I'm sure he'll comment on some of those projects, too. All right, so I think I've given people an earful now, and hopefully did a good job introducing uh, Attention Deficit Society. So let's bring Charlie on. Hey, Charlie, how are you? Not bad, Carrie. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Trying to get the word out about, about the project, and uh, thank you very much for that intro. That was great. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, I always try to do my research and homework on all of my uh, guests, so hopefully that was a, a good, positive, and uh, entertaining uh, inter- introduction for you. Um, oh, it was. You yeah. did your homework. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I want you to, again, I have, you know, some questions prepared, but, you know, ultimately the interview is about you and the band, so I want you to feel, you know, free and open to kind of take it in whatever direction you would like to take it in so that you can, you know, get all the information you want out there. Um, But I always like to just briefly start out by just asking you, you know, how did you get involved in music? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, your upbringing, and, you know, how this kind of led you down this road to making music your career. 
Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, music was, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is interesting, but it's very cool, actually, because uh, I don't know. I'm sure with many musicians, uh, me personally, I came from a kind of a, uh, a broken home, I guess you would say, a dysfunctional family, uh, product of divorce, and bounced around a lot, yada, 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 a lot of arguing going on between the two parents, not really too... Uh, friendly to each other it was very nasty and uh i kind of started music late and probably in late in 11th grade of high school and uh and i i took solace in music i kind of found it as i, I took it as an avenue to escape and uh actually get my you know my feelings and uh you know my emotions out and just a, a way to just feel normal so i kind of mm-hmm. I took solace, and if that makes any sense, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's it's the God's honest truth. And uh, no, I so, can uh, I can absolutely empathize with what you're saying, and I think that's really interesting to hear. But you know, it's interesting too, just to digress for a minute. So, you know, what was it about? Kind of like you said, a little later in life, which isn't too late, high school, but you know, growing up in terms of some of the like you said, the difficulties you were dealing with your parents not getting along. You know, what made you not get into it a little sooner, you think? What kind of gravitated towards it later on? I I don't know. I always loved music. Uh, it's just that I never really thought about uh, playing an instrument. I would go to concerts. I would see everywhere, mm-hmm. so everybody. I just never really thought about picking it up. And then one day I just I did, and it kind of, like, came natural. So I, I, nice. I excelled at it pretty quickly, and I just literally, within one year, I was like, playing and I think we sold out our, our high school auditorium, you know, with the first oh year of music playing which was pretty it was pretty weird. I don't know, it's kinda of strange, but I was like, Wow You know, all my life I've had, you know, kinda of like, you know, people looking at me like I was a troubled kid because I came from the trouble home. Now all of a sudden they're like, Wow, he's good at something you know, and I was like, Wow, I'm right. kinda of good at something and it you know it 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 kinda of went from there. So That's awesome. So you, you picked up the guitar and did you just teach yourself? Uh, I think I went to one lesson with this guy, Lou Ubriaco, here in New York, and he's <laughs> okay. just phenomenal. But, you know, I was, you know, of course I was too cool. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I knew everything, and uh, I didn't need lessons. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I mean, you, you wow. know, I'm not anything nothing by any means, but uh, um, I guess I have a pretty good sense of rhythm, so. <laughs> but that's amazing. Within a year you were playing out? Literally, yeah. Wow, amazing. So, and then vocally, too, that was something that just came along pretty naturally to you? Vocally, I kind of pushed around with it a little bit in high school, but that didn't really start happening. That didn't happen until later on, uh, a couple years later, okay. when I was in the studio for the first time with uh, this project, and the drummer was the lead singer, and uh, he had voice issues. We, we got into the studio, we paid for this time, you know, about $80 million an hour, whatever it was, which was an enormous amount. To, to us at that age, right? no, it was like could have been like ten bucks an hour for all I know. <laughs> it seemed like a thousand dollars an hour. So, um, we, you know, he kind of didn't. He wasn't feeling well, so they were like, well, you know, you sing all the harmonies. Why don't you try it? And I, I just looked at them and went, me? No, right, right, right. Like, right. Almost like no way. And uh, they said, no, nah, do it. Give it a try. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm fronting, and uh, they put me up front singing and. That was it. Then I stopped, you know, then I then I got into bands where I just stopped playing guitar. For years I was just known as 
a singer guy. No, people don't even really know that I play guitar. It's kind of weird. It's like almost Jolin Turner-ish. Nobody really knows what a great guitar player that guy is, but if he played guitar in front of you, Joel would just drop to the ground. He's like one. There's a lot of guys out there that you don't really know about. There are other musical right. talents you don't think. So, um, you know, that was it. And now I'm back full circle again. I'm like, well, what the hell? I might as well play guitar again. I want to play, so... Yeah, no, that looks, I mean, it looks awesome what you're doing. I was reading about how you're doing a lot of acoustic shows, and I mean, the type of music you're playing, I mean, it just sounds, it sounds really cool. So I hope if you make it to New Jersey sometime, I can try to uh, come check you out. Hopefully so. I was was actually booked at a show down there last week, and I had to pull out because of the cross-booking that was up here. I I couldn't, I couldn't make the date, so I'll be Uh, down there And where was that going to be at? That was at a place called The Mansion in Brick, oh, wow. New Jersey. It was some show called uh, Rootstock or Winterfest or something. I don't know what it was called, whatever it was. Oh, cool. No, I've heard of the place. I just That's interesting. I didn't know they had, like, bands play there. That's really cool. I think it was a one-off event. So. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, um... No, so that's, I mean, that's an interesting story to kind of start out the interview and just get a little bit of background on you, and thank you for sharing that. Um, so just to fast forward a little bit, and then we'll definitely go back, when did you decide that, you know, this was something you were going to do for a living? Did you have any other things to fall back on or any other interests that you were going to pursue, or was it just like, now I have to do music? I think by the time I, I, I was done with that with high school, I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do, and I geared myself for that, and uh, I actually, uh, when I first got out as a, a fail-safe, you know, to appease my my mother, I guess, I kind of like, I was joined the Carpenter's Apprenticeship Program, and uh, I was going, I was going through it, I think I was on like the third, second year, and my teacher, I was like playing all over the place, so all over like, you know, from Baltimore to Boston, on a Friday, Saturday night, and I would I would be driving back to make uh, make the apprenticeship school. Um, I think it was a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Either way, you know, I was late okay. sleeping. Plus, I never made it on time. I missed all as many. He covered me so many times, and finally he <laughs> sat me down one day and he said, "Look, he goes, I know you love music, and I know, you know, you're you're good at at constructing and putting things together." He goes, "But I'm going to give you uh, my honest opinion about this." He said. Um, you're either going to be good at one thing or the other. You can't be good at both. You can't excel at both. So I went, mm-hmm. wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And I, and I thought about that for a little while, for about a week or two, and I came back in the next week, and I just said, uh, you know what, I'm going to go music full time. And that next year, I went to Roadrunner Records. <laughs> it was kind of weird, too. Oh, you know, my gosh. So that's that's a really interesting comment that he had to say to you, and you kind of you know, kind of said, all right, this is what I'm going to choose to do, and, and went with it. Yeah. I would like to actually should try to find that guy someday. I, I should do that just to thank him. Thank him. I think that's person right. out at the same time because it is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> it's not <the> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure with the fair share of. Really, uh... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Really, really good times, and then obviously there's been some pretty, pretty bad times. So, as with any musician, right. right. I think anybody, that's with really. anything in life. You know, I think people just sometimes people always look at the grass as being greener, and I think everything comes along with its, uh, its pluses and minuses. So, but it seems like yours definitely has more pluses because you've uh, you've stuck with it this long and you've continued to, you know, progress and, and advance in your career. So it's amazing. 
I kind of I got sidetracked there for a little while um, and actually stopped playing for for a while. But uh, just recently, you know, over about 2008, I started getting the itch again. So I started playing again. So the love, hate, relationship. I can't live without it. I can't. No, <laughs> it sounds weird, but I, I'm just not. I know it sounds really cheesy, and it, 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 you know, but I really, I'm just not whole without without creative. Right. With a creative, without well, a creative outlet. Right, so. right. But that's that's interesting. That was another. And again, I'm sorry. Maybe it's my psychology. It's terrible. But but no. But it doesn't. I think it makes my interviews interesting and, and different from other interviews. But. That's interesting. So you said you got back involved in 2008. How long did you take a break for, and, and what specifically was going on that you said you needed to kind of, you know, just get away from it for a little while? Uh, a lot of things. You know, personal issues with, with substance and stuff like that where I had to just kind of walk away from everything for a little while and, okay. you know, take a look at things. So. And I, you know, fixed that or, or I'm in the process of fixing that. Always, every day is a new, you know, that's, a, that's that's an issue that's dealt with every day on a daily basis. So, um, you know, I, once I I got my mind and focus back together and started thinking correctly, I was like, you know, I I remembered what I loved, <laughs> you know, right. and I kind of went mm-hmm. back. So. so, what was the last so. band that you were in? And we can uh, maybe we can transition into talking about some of the projects you've been in the past, and then we'll get into. Oh, so what was the last band you were in before you before two thousand and eight came along? So what you know before you took your little break? Two thousand eight, I was doing a uh, I was in a uh, I was in some Zeppelin uh, tribute shows, some national shows. I was in a band called Physical Graffiti, and I was in a band okay. called Hindenburg. And Hindenburg had members of Zebra, Ace Frehley's band, and uh, John Entwistle and, and uh, what's his name's band. Uh, the guy from ACPC, I can't even think of his name. It was like a oh. kind of a national, a bunch of guys who were a national band to play that. You know, we didn't we didn't do the whole poser thing. We kind of just played the music, which is cool. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other projects. I know Toxic was a, a really big band that you were in for a while. Um, and then eventually kind of you, you split off from that as well as you were involved in other projects, including Barfly and Strength. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your background with those bands, and then um, we'll start getting into uh, Attention Deficit Society. Yeah, Toxic was a uh, was a heavier uh, progressive thrash band. I'll, uh, I guess you could say Dream Theater meets Anthrax, kind of meets uh, Megadeth. It okay. was... Uh, Thrash, but over-the-top progressive thrash. And uh, I happen to be uh, living down the street from uh, the guitar player in that band. And they they were having, you know, the label was having issues with the, the original singer. They wanted, a, they wanted a new singer, so he called me down. And, you know, I was with them for about two years. We toured. We were out with King Diamond. We did shows with Testament, Europe. Uh, we were all, we toured everywhere with that band. That was a, we were on the road quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it just... Never was that kind of genre. I love it, but you know, mm-hmm. after a while, it was just a little too much, a little too progressive, you know. So I kind of uh, decided it wasn't the right, right vibe for me, and you know, and the label was kind of hemming and hawing. And there was a lot of things, a lot of issues in that. So sure. I decided to leave, and then, uh, then uh, this guy uh, Nick Pocott. Uh, had a band called Barfly, and the same thing was happening with them. Their singer was kind of like 
the label wasn't happy with that guy. So, they, you know, he called and he said, come down and check it out. And that was a completely different thing. That was like a Skid Row meets, uh, uh, Bon Jovi meets Skid Row, I guess you could say. And uh, okay. that was a major label deal. That was a big, big deal with the right, you know, big management and all of that stuff. And, you know, we just, like, just, well, they were giving us everything on the planet. We were this, we were that. They were like, you know, air, the sky was the limit. You know, they paid Michael Wagner, you know, mixed the record. Uh, Ponchi produced it. We worked with all these, so every, just ridiculous amounts of stuff. And then one day, I called up, and they were like, uh, I'm like, is Wendy there? And they're like, hmm, Wendy who? <laughs> you know, it's like everybody in the label just changed like that. And I'm sure you've heard these stories before. They oh, just, like, my gosh. Literally, overnight, changed hands, everybody. And so we were put at the bottom of the list in, in a holding pattern, and, and it just kind of, like, ruined, the men, you know, the whole psyche of the band, and everybody started fighting. And it was a nightmare. Aye, aye. Blah, blah. So, you know, that was that band. Then then I kind of, like, touched around for a little while and looked for a band all over the country, actually. It was going everywhere. I was getting calls from a lot of people, uh, a lot of, the, lot of the, you know, a lot of pretty well-known bands I was in the running for or talking to and, you know, because it was like an, a list of singers, I guess, that was floating around, and I happened to be on that list. So everybody and their brother was nice. calling me at that time. Give, a, give but, like, uh, three uh, names of the top, give, like, three names of the bands that you can remember that were calling you, since I'm sure there were tons. Uh, one was Dream Theater. Wow. Um, one, Jeff Young from Megadeth, and uh, another one was, uh, I was talking to was, uh, what's his name from, uh, who's the guitar player in Port? CC developed from Poison, I guess. I was talking to his producer. A lot of people. There was, wow. You know, there just That's seemed amazing. to be so much stuff happening at that time, you know, because of the label and all of that. So, uh, Mark Ferrari is another guy. I don't know if uh, I remember him. He was, I guess, George. He originally had Oni Logan, who was a phenomenal singer, a phenomenal rock and roll singer, who was okay. in the Lynch mob with George okay. Lynch. So um, it was just a lot of stuff going on. So anyway, then I I just wasn't clicking with any anything in, in general. So I uh, moved around a little bit from here and there, and I wound up in New Jersey with this band called Strength and uh, lived in that house on Dayton Avenue in Tom's River, New Jersey, for about three years. So. No way. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. I'm very right yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. And how um, long were you with you know, Strength? I think I was with them for about two years, and we we did a lot okay. of you know touring regionally from you know out Pittsburgh to you know Baltimore and whatever, just Jersey, New York, Connecticut. Nice. And the, real quick, in the house, Charlie, like, the, the name of the band was I'm just fine. Strength. It wasn't the name of the band was just Strength. It wasn't Strength with something else in it. No, it's just Strength. Just Strength. And okay. they later okay. on, they later became uh, the last show I did with those guys was at the, a place called the Burchill. And uh-huh. uh, we were open. We were opening for D. Snyder, and uh, D. saw the band and heard that I was leaving, and asked them to be the uh, SMFs. So those guys went on to play with uh, D. Snyder for about eight years and toured the world as the SMFs. And wow. uh, I just kind of like, you know, started playing acoustic, doing doing a lot more of that, and you know, going down the wrong road at that point. Those guys were, you know, I mean, they were going their way. I was going mine, and I wasn't going the right way. They were, you know. They were on a different track than me, and, you know. So that's when uh, yeah. I started. I just to, to you know, I started playing in, in the Zeppelin stuff and things like that, and like you know, cover bands, I guess, which kind of like took the soul out of me. I was like, man, this is not right, you know. 
It's cool, but when, when when you're used to writing songs and like all this thing, all these things happen happening around you and you're you know, you're with this one and that one and you know, they're flying you here and flying you there, then all of a sudden you're in like you know, I am up in uh, what do you call it, Vermont, you know, or New Hampshire right. playing Zeppelin songs, you know, it's like it's kinda weird. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm totally an original person. I do respect cover bands, but like you said, when you start writing original stuff, and I can't, unless I can revamp a cover, that's the only way I can sing one, because I cannot just sing it word for word or, you know, and mimic the person and how they do it. So I can appreciate what you're saying. And, and, um, and you well, know, I don't, my, hat's off, my hat's off to people that do covers. There's nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. There's, <laughs> there's a, a place. It just wasn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. So. It just wasn't the right fit for you. Right. Exactly. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a, a break? Because I definitely want to get all of your music in tonight. Um, and we will check out your song, Walls Between Us, which is going to be coming off of your album, Songs for the Manor, from the Manor. And tell That's us a little bit about this track, and uh, then we'll check it out. This track is, uh, we just we decided to re- release three songs on iTunes and Amazon MP3, MP3 and Reverb Nation, Pandora, all that, all the digital outlets just as a, a, a kind of a taster because we were tired of just sitting around going, wow, we got a million songs, and which one are we going to put out? So we put out three until we're done. And the song, Walls Between Us, is it's kind of about, it, it's a snapshot of the times. It's a snapshot of the way, uh, if you want to call me a conspiracy theory guy, you might want to do that, but maybe not because it's kind of like what's happening, I think. I think the... Powers that be out there always take, um, you know, they, they, they put up walls between you. The more everybody mm-hmm. on this planet does not get along, the happier yeah. they are and the more they can take from you. So, uh, you know, it's divide and conquer kind of thing. So the lyrics are pretty much written about that, uh, you know, how on a daily basis they pump stuff down your, you know, they put Britney Spears because she shaved her head. Meanwhile, they're, you know, they're invading Iraq, whatever they're doing. You know what I mean? I, it, it, just right, to pull right. the wool over your eyes, make sure everybody hates everybody. That person's screwed up. Just to take the focus off on re- what's really going on. So that's kind of what you're right. talking about. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right, I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to do a quick commercial before it's a few seconds long, and then we'll go straight into uh, your song. All right? Great, thanks. Thanks. Okay. All right, everyone, again, you are listening to Charlie Sabin from Attention Deficit Society. We are going to check out his song, Walls Between Us, which is going to be off of his album, Songs from the Matter, and that will be coming out shortly. He'll talk more about that when we get back. First, we're going to take a commercial break and check out Zero by One Sound Studios. It's an amazing studio. It's based out of uh, South Jersey. It's one of the premier studios that just opened, and uh, amazing people. I've worked with some of these guys So let's check out a commercial of theirs, and then we will go straight into the song from Attention Deficit Society, which is titled Walls Between Us. Zero by One Sound, South Jersey's premier recording and audio production studio, featuring award-winning engineers, state-of-the-art gear, and spacious tracking rooms. Zero by One Sound offers musicians of any genre an exciting and professional recording environment. Call us now at 856-396-7672 to discuss your project and take a tour of the studio. Or visit us on the web at 0x1sound.com. 
All right, everyone, welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show. I love that track, Walls Between Us. Can't get enough of that one by Attention Deficit Society. It is catchy as hell, and please download it. As Charlie Sabin said earlier, it's on iTunes and all major digital sites, and we will be waiting for the full-length album to come out in the near future, which, again, is going to be titled Songs from the Manor. So let's bring him back on. All right, Charlie, you're back on. Hello? Hello. <laughs> <Are> you there? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay, I love that song. Great. I mean, you you got to get that on. Uh, is it hitting radio stations yet? Uh, a couple of them. Uh, we go. We just went to internet with it so far. We haven't really sent out. We've been testing the waters a little bit and getting okay. pretty good feedback. Very positive feedback, actually. And uh, so, eventually, we're gonna put it to radio. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a you great know, the, single. You, really good single. Thank you. Really cool. So why don't we, since we listened to one of the tracks, why don't you tell us about how Attention Deficit Society came about? Please, you know, plug all the amazing musicians that are involved in this project, uh, the producer Tariq that you're working with, and the band members, um, and give us some background on that. Well, Tariq Tariq Salangi has been a friend of mine forever from Yonkers. That's our, that's our neighborhood is, you know, Westchester County, New York City, Bronx. And uh, we always, he would always say, you know, I, I got, I would like to get you in the studio sometime. I'd like to get you in the studio. And we always said, yeah, one day we'll do it. And uh, one day we actually, I actually took him up on it and we sat there and we went, wow, uh, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, we can work with this. <laughs> so we had two other guys that were working with us at the time and uh, that didn't work out. So, we kind of worked, and we did, like, three or four songs. We put a considerable amount of time into it, and uh, it didn't work. So it kind of, I got frustrated, and I was, like, ready to give up again. And uh, he called me one day, and he said, nah. He goes, let's do this. He goes, we can do it. We'll find other guys. Let's just concentrate, focus in, write more songs, and, and let's give it another shot. So we did that. Nice. And I played, you know, instead I played, decided to play the guitar on it, and... Uh, you know, I did a lot of the rhythms. I played the, I played all the guitars on that one, on that particular song. But there's other songs that I just, you know, I, I, I just, I don't think I'm that good of a lead guitar player. So I called in some, some friends of mine that are just absolutely ridiculous. They're just, <laughs> they come in and like, you know, <laughs> in, in, literally in a half hour session and just do stuff that I would, it would, I couldn't even take. It would take me ten years to like learn the solo that they did, you know. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and flavoring and stuff like that. So. But, you know, originally we, you know, Tark was like, I know this guy, Mike May. You know, I use him on a lot of my sessions. He's played with, I think he played with Rob DeLuca for a while and Rob's band, the guy that's uh, from Spread Eagle and uh, Sebastian Bach. Oh. I think he's the bass player in Sebastian's band. So he did that and uh, he played on like so many records that Tark did. And I heard his drumming and I went, wow, he's awesome. Can we get him? And uh, he said, let me try it. And called him, and that was it. And Mike was like, absolutely, I like it. I like like the stuff. Nice. So him and I, we did. We just went in. It was me with guitar and him on drums, and we started cutting, and I laid scratch bass tracks. And then we started looking for a real guy, and he was like, well, I know this guy, Jeff. They had a band called, they were in a, a, a Tool tribute band called Perfect Tool. And uh, I was like, are you kidding me? A bass player and a drummer in a in a perfect tool, in, in a tool band? And they were like the best around. They were, these guys were ridiculous. Right. Remember the, these guys? They they were like, you couldn't get any closer to tool than these guys. And I'm like, That's you think amazing. they'll play on it? And he's like, 
Well, we'll see. And then next thing you know, and <laughs> Jeff, is, or I can't even tell you the talent that, that this kid has. It's like he's done some of these tracks in one take, and we don't even rehearse with him sometimes. He just comes in. Wow. I him, you know, I'll do the pre-production stuff. I'd be like, here's the stuff, Jeff. He's like, okay. And he walks in, and he's like, do, 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 sounds. All right, tunes up a little bit, sits there. And he's like, all right, put roll the tape. And he's like, plays it. I'm like, I look at Tark. And Mike, and I just go, are you joking me with this guy? And he goes, well, you, think that, you think that was good? I'm like, what are you, are you, what are you smoking, wow. man? Are you crazy? He goes, really? Oh, yeah. And he's like the most humble guy. And he's just like, I play with a lot of bass players, and he's probably the most talented bass player I think I've ever ever played with. I've mean, played with some pretty good wow. guys. Wow. You know. That's great. Well-rounded, everything, chop-wise, sound, all that. So very happy to have him aboard. And then we just started calling in. You know, guitar players that I know, Richie Scarlett from Ace's band and uh, Sebastian Bach again. He played some piano on one of the tracks, and I'm going to have him come down and play guitar too and uh, on another track. And uh, we had this guy, Artie Dillon, who's phenomenal as well. He's, he's played with Carmine Apathy in, in Carmine's band called Slam. And uh, okay. he's just, this kid is like a prodigy. Everybody knows him around. I always like, give me something that sounds like... Uh, I don't know, do your best uh, uh, Avenged Sevenfold. And he just came back with this solo. I went, are you joking me? You're kidding me with this. So, <laughs> and then we, uh, all these guys have played, but, like, they're, they, I'm, like, so fortunate to have just the talent that Well, isn't, that it, isn't it good, I, wait, I, isn't it good, uh, Charlie, that you stuck with it and you listened to uh, Tarek? Because <laughs> you were the one like, oh, I want to throw it in. And he's like, no, 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 let's keep pushing it, and now look yeah. what you got. <laughs> Yeah, now now it's coming together. It's really I'm really happy with the product and starting to get some That's good amazing. feedback. To some, so, you know, we had another so guy, well, this guy Mike Mike Supa, who's actually in another. He's in a, he's in a, he played with uh, Mike Starr from Alice in Chains. He was in his band right before Mike passed away. And uh, wow, he plays guitar on probably the next track you're gonna play. Actually, he plays the solo on it and. Uh, He's been a friend of mine forever. I played in a bad... You know, I fell in for this band, Facelift. It's Alice in Chains band. And uh, he's okay. a guitar player in that band as well. So, uh, And then who else? This other guy, Mike Miranda, that I know from the Bronx, who's another just phenomenal, phenomenal guitar player. It's like... It, you know, and, and like I said, I've seen a lot of guys, and I've played with a lot of guys, and these guys, nobody... You may not know the name, but their talent is probably bigger than most of the ones you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that's well. That's usually the way it is. You know, sometimes exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's so. Well, congratulations. I mean, it's so amazing that you are, you know, to be able to get all the people that you want on this project, and you know, for the most part, make it your own, which is great. You know what I mean? That's well, awesome. I didn't get everybody who wanted. I tried to court fumble put down. I haven't gotten him yet, but I'm going to get him on it too. <laughs> oh my God! I, I actually. That's so funny. And again, the only reason I'd probably even know of the name is I met him at a um, CD release party for the comedian Don Jameson. And he yeah, did some Don. opening guitar stuff. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's ridiculous. That guy's just like, stop with him. I know. He's like, he's an alien. Him, him and Buckethead, this guy Buckethead that played on the gun stuff too, that guy okay. is not human. I'm sorry. He's just an alien. He plays too good. <laughs> he's just ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> well, keep at it. Keep at it, keep at it, and get Bumblefoot uh, as a part of your project, too, oh, and Buckethead, that's, too. That's, like my, that's on my wish list. I can't guarantee okay. that, but I would love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So 
How would you describe your music to people who, you know, haven't heard it in terms of influences, genre-wise? How would you describe it? I don't know. I've I've heard uh, I've heard Tool meets Bon Jovi. I've heard uh, I've heard uh, Three Days Grace sometimes on other tracks. I've heard uh, King's X harmonies. Uh, nice. You know, some people say it's, it's old school metal with 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 modern some of the new brutal metalists today is with a quote. Um I just think it's I like to think of it as hard rock. You know? Yeah. Good hard rock, you know? That's it. Yeah. And I like it because I, I definitely can hear, you know, bits and pieces of things through it, but it's still your own original unique sound and that's what I like about it. I mean to be honest, that's I think it really I, stands out. Got I have heard that. I have gotten that and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I think that's the best thing to do because you want to have your own sound, but you want people to be, you know, familiar enough that they could say, "Ooh, I kind of hear a little of this, I kind of hear a little of that," and then it, that kind of just pulls them in right away. So I think that's really cool. 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 Thank you. All right, so why don't you um, tell us about the next song, uh, "Wouldn't Want to Be You," and uh, give us a little bit of background on that track, and then we will uh, play it. Um, a little bit of background on this track it was written. Uh, Nobody in particular, just the, where I wound up with my uh, my my issue, my personal issue. I was around a lot of unsavory kind of people and like people that didn't have much integrity. And I was I always have integrity. That's one thing I've always considered myself to have. A man, mm-hmm. if I said I was going to do something, I always did it. You know, or I did my best to make sure. And if I didn't, I call you and tell you why I didn't do it. You know, just normal things right. that I think are like normal to do in a in a healthy relationship with somebody. But a lot of people don't get that <laughs> for some strange reason. I don't know why. It's like it should be one on one right out of the womb. It should be like right. you should be born and know it. But well, we a can, lot uh, of people don't. Charlie, we can. You and I can have a separate side conversation. I'll give you some psychology information to try to help you make sense of some of this stuff. <laughs> but I know. I, I can uh, very much relate to. I can relate to what you're uh, talking about, whether it's personal relationships, music dynamics. I mean, it's it's unfortunately everywhere. But go on. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just kind of like cutting somebody a break many, many times, and it's just like, all right, dude, you know, I'm I'm done with you, mm-hmm. and I just wouldn't want to be here anymore. You know, it's like you know, I don't want to. Thank God, I'm not like you kind of deal. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, that's basically what kind of, I don't know. If, yeah, that's kind of what it's about, really, I guess. <laughs> okay, I really cool. Think. I think it makes sense. All right, so yeah. uh, let's check this out. All right, I'll put you on hold, and then we'll be back. Now we're on. All right, everyone, again, you are listening to Charlie Sabin of Attention Deficit Society. We're going to check out his single, wouldn't want to be you. And, uh, again, if you're just tuning into the show or you tuned in a little late, the podcast will be available as soon as the show is over. You can download it. You can stream it. You can stream it. You can put it on your uh, iPod, whatever you want to do. So if you've tuned in late, please make sure that you download the interview. Charlie's doing a great job. He's got some amazing music. Ugh, excuse me. Now I'm stumbling over my words. He's got some amazing music out there, and uh, you don't want to miss this interview. All right, here's his track, Wouldn't Want to Be You which is another one of the singles that is going to be off of his album, Songs from the Manor. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? 
All right, everyone, welcome back again to the Carrie Edelman Show. And the song you just heard was the single Wouldn't Want to Be You by Attention Deficit Society, which will be coming off of their album, Songs from the Manor. And again, another amazing track, and I could definitely hear a little hint of uh, Tool running through that song, and uh, I think that's a big compliment, so I hope uh, Charlie appreciates that. And let's bring him back on so we can uh, start uh, wrapping things up. Hello. Hey, how are you? Awesome song. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. That's I definitely have a little tool in that one. I get that. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, so that was Absolutely. the song that Mike Super that you said Mike that's Super played on? Nice. Playing lead guitar. Yes, yes. Very cool. Great stuff. Really good stuff. So let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about you know what you hope to come of this album that you're going to be putting out in terms of do you want to seek out a label or do you want to do this more or less independently and kind of you know manage it on your own and tell us a little bit about your you know your views on labels because I know you've had your fair share of experiences with uh, the top of the top to uh, independent so yeah give us a little information about um, that. Well. The label, what do I want to do? The first question you asked was what I want to do. So right now, we just actually played, I placed that song recently. Uh, Some parts of that particular track is on a show called Red Eye with uh, Greg Gutfeld on Fox News. Awesome, I did read about that. They used the riff on the intro and a bunch of, you know, the the heavy, chunky riff they used throughout the show. So, um with regards to cool. what like so I like I'd like to play songs on movie soundtracks because uh, you get paid for that you know you don't it, it, with the digital download and everybody stealing everything blind um, safe instead is is uh, that avenue and as well as like games and stuff like that but I mean ultimately yeah. that would be great but labels as well um, I would love to have a label it would have to be the right deal. Um, Mm-hmm. And I'd be happy with a label that just wanted to do a P and D, and and give a promotional budget, uh, which would be great too. Because I would like to hand the product in just com- total, com- totally complete, you know, shrink wrapped and everything, and say, here you right. go. Now take them to your one stops, and you know, even Sony Red to use Sony Red as a distribution and some money for promotion. I mean, I'd be ecstatic with that. You know, I also wouldn't mind being on Universal Records and having Monty Lippman sign me either. But, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, and if we have to do it ourselves, so we do that that way too because there's so many avenues now that you can, uh, you, you know, it's funny because I do know a lot of guys that were signed and I know guys that sold millions of records and really have nothing to show for it. It's crazy how much. Well, that's the, everything is, right. It's called the it's, it's called a recoup. So every time you go to dinner, every time they fly you here, every time so you know, that's all on the clock. And every time you do a video, every time you do the record, you know, it all comes out of your – it's the band pays for everything first. So the so the label always makes like $10. And first of all, the deal is always this. The label makes like $10 per CD, and the band will make maybe two if you're lucky. And then out of that $2 comes all the expenses. It doesn't come out of the $10 end. It comes out of the $2 right. end. So you're left with everything, and they walk away with ten bucks. So by the end of the day, some of these bands out there, and that's particularly why Prince. Everybody thought he was a whack job, but he changed his name from Prince to just the symbol. That was done right. for a reason. That was to get off of Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers had him, 
in a contract for 25, I don't know what the years were, whatever. And he was just like, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a symbol. <laughs> so now he just sells his stuff directly online and he makes all the money. So, you know, he's an established act. The problem with, with a band like us is you need money to get your name out there. And that I look at labels as they're a bank. All they are is a bank. Right. They loan you money, right. and they want a huge big for it. They want to take, you know, for every dollar they give you, they want like 90 in return. So, um, Right. And I wish, you know, Charlie, that's such an important point real quick that you're making, and I don't want to interrupt you, but that was one of the reasons I asked that question, and I knew you could appreciate it because you you were around, and not I'm not saying that in a bad way, but you were around back when, you know, labels were really big, and now the industry has changed a lot with the, the internet and being able to do a lot of this stuff on your own. And I think people still out there today, especially younger people that are up and coming in the industry, they still think the label signs you and you make millions of dollars and they don't realize the realities is that you basically are indebted to these people to potentially, you know, your life in terms of paying them back. Um, oh, and I think that's absolutely. right. Right. You know, the funny thing is here, here's a, here's a, here's a little, if you want to use this as a measuring stick of, of how the industry works. Your first record is going to go all back to the label because they're going to invest. It takes about a million dollars, probably more now, to break a band. They got to put at least a million dollars into you. So you figure if you sell uh, three million, four million records back in the day, nobody's selling that anymore. But you know, and you're getting two dollars a record. Well, there's two million dollars. That's paying them off for what they put in to get you where you are. So you basically make nothing on your first record. Your second record, now, okay, they're going to put more money into you, so now you can renegotiate your deal and get a little bit more. So now you can go buy your house, maybe, okay? okay? The third okay. record, if, if you're fortunate enough to get to the third record, is when you basically make your money to retire on. If you get that far, that's when the real money comes in. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, there's bands out there that, that, that sold whatever, four, three, four million dollars, had one record. Those guys, they're, you know, they might be garbage men now, you know what I mean? Because right. all of that money went back to the man. And, you know, if they weren't smart with their money, the little that they had, which they probably weren't because they never thought it was going to stop coming in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they probably broke, you know. And some of them were smart with their money. and uh, But that's just, it seems to be the way it is w- w- with that. So, I mean, if, if I was to say anything to a new up-and-coming up band, and that's the funny thing, too, because you talk to people that are like, yeah, man, that guy's so rich. I'm like, um, not really. I've kind of been to his house. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you saw where that guy lives, you would be like, what? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's like, right. yeah, right. So it's kind of weird. But then there's other guys that just make phenomenal amounts of money on it because they license it out. Certain bands, you know, mm-hmm. like that have catalogs. And if you're fortunate enough to get to the point where Molly Crew was able to sell their back catalog for $30 million. Well, that, that's a whole nother egg, you know. But, you know, for every one Motley Crew, there's, you know, a million other ones that are, are scrapping right. the bottom. So, I mean, the odds are pretty stacked against that you would get to some a level like that. I know. So if you, and I think you were going to go into this, if you did have one piece of advice to give to an up-and-coming artist, what would you say? Quit now. Give a day job. <laughs> no, I would say... Um, and get a great attorney, um, learn the music business inside out, um, uh-huh. learn, learn to write songs because uh, certain bands I know have very, very, very famous singers that are still selling out arenas that did not write anything on the record and do not get paid anything. Nothing. Absolutely zero. Wow. Um, you know, so 
watch your publishing. Publishing is a big thing. That's where all the money is. That's where your your financial statement will come from down the road. Uh, you know, when you're later on in years, uh, every time they license something to a movie, the writer gets credit. Right. The thing is now, radio, you know, if you're the writer on a radio, every time some people think, oh, it's getting played on the radio, they must be rich. The writer is the one that gets paid the writer share on radio. They do not play for, pay performance for radio. So if you sang on a track and you didn't write it, and you don't have uh-huh. an agreement with that writer, you get nothing. I mean, there's guys like the OJs wow. and like all these Motown bands that you hear every single day in arenas, everywhere, on movies, everything, everything, everything. These guys are living in trailers because they just sang on the stuff. They did not write it. So, and wow. They weren't so you're saying for the the a writing just I mean, for education, a writing credit could be someone who wrote the music, someone who wrote the vocal melodies, the lyrics, that would be a writing credit. Absolutely, correct. Right, right. Wow, interesting. Very so interesting. Two kind of, so, two kind of, two kinds of royalty in the music business is performance and mechanical. Writer right. and mechanical. The mechanical is mm-hmm. the performance, and the writer is, is the writer's share, so. Gotcha. Very interesting. Well, no, it's it's been such a great interview with you. I've loved having you on. You've been, uh, you know, just full of a a wealth of knowledge, and you're an amazing talent. So, yeah, I usually do about an hour, so I want to start, you know, wrapping things up, but I want you to, you know, feel free to end with whatever you'd like to share with the audience, as well as please plug all the sites that people can uh, find find out about you guys. Okay, well, thank you for having me on. Been a pleasure. Um, it's a very interesting interview because uh, it's like the psychological <laughs> aspect of things, and a lot of people don't ask those questions. Uh, okay, I hope I didn't. I don't for, think I asked too many of them. Well, no, no, not not psychological, but you ask other questions about important things that people nobody ever asked, like you know about royalties or stuff like that. Nobody ever asked that question. I've done yeah, a see, lot I, of interviews. And again, maybe that maybe ever said that. I don't that's know if that's great. my well, cool. No, I mean, I like that stuff, Charlie, and I want people to be able to be educated, you know, not only about who you are as a person and about your amazing music, but to learn from the people that I have on, too. So I'm glad I'm glad that you were able to share some information, too. Absolutely. I, I hope I was uh, I hope I was intelligent or intelligible when I try to communicate. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I would just like to thank you for having us on. I would like to say that uh, we do have three songs available now on iTunes, Amazon, MP3, Reverb Nation, Pandora, and Rhapsody, whatever. Whatever the digital outlets are, you can Google mm-hmm. us, Attention Deaf Society, and uh, please help support, you know, a fledgling band that's, you know, floundering and doing it all themselves. So uh, every every everything counts. And uh, if you would be kind enough to go to Facebook uh, slash attention deficit society, perhaps like the page, um, you know, talk to friends, whatever. You know, uh, I just want to thank okay. everybody and hope, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll like the music. Yeah, it's amazing. And one one quick last question, just in one sentence, because I wanted to ask you this and I forgot. What is the definition or meaning of the band? I mean, I love it. As a psychologist, uh, I love it. <laughs> society. Well, it's just pretty much everybody. It seems like everybody's got it. I don't know if it's from the, you know, from the hormones or whatever <laughs> they put and the chemicals they put in the food. That, that's a whole other conversation. So we okay. don't want to go there. But I mean, I don't know what it is, but it seems like, you know, what the thing is, I, I probably went to school and 
I have, I don't know, if I, I'm not like a really bad case of ADD, but I think everybody's got it to an extent. And I think uh, creative people especially have it. I mean, I, I can tell you, some of the people I've played with, that you can't keep them focused for more than like 30 seconds. They're on to the next. Right, right. No, I know. I know. <laughs> textbook attention deficit. And, uh, you know, I've been playing music all my life, and it's kind of like a society of musicians, I guess you want if you want to. That's not a bad way to describe it. I mean, I thought about that. I rationalized that in my head. <laughs> okay. So maybe that's really what it's Very all about. Very cool. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right, great. We'll definitely keep in touch with me, Charlie. I always invite people back on. You did an amazing job. And, uh, yeah, please let me know when the album's out. I'd love to get a copy of it. And we'll talk about bringing you back on in the near future when you release it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, have a great night, and thanks again for coming on. You did a great job. You too. Okay, take care. Bye. All right, everyone, again, that was Charlie Sabin from Attention Deficit Society. Please check them out. Go to ReverbNation.com slash Attention Deficit Society. You can also find them on Facebook, and please search for them on iTunes, Amazon Music, Rhapsody, and all other digital sites. For their uh, three-song EP, which is currently out, and they're in the process of getting ready to release their full-length album. So thank you so much again, everyone, for tuning in tonight. We will be back next week, and that is on, actually, gosh, I can't believe it's March. So next week, which is going to be, let me look at the calendar here, uh, March 6th, which is a Tuesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, we are going to have on Ratscape. He's an amazing musician. He's from the band Overkill, and he's currently working on a film that is highlighting the music industry and all of the uh, good things about it as well as the not-so-good things about it. Um, so please tune in to listen to him. We'll be checking out some of his music, too. And you can find me if you're interested. You can follow me on Twitter, at Carrie Edelman. On Facebook, if you want to search for The Carrie Edelman Show, it will give you all the information about the upcoming shows, guests, and podcasts. Um, You can also find me on Facebook, my personal page, search Carrie Edelman, my musician page, which is also under Carrie Edelman, and my official website, carrieedelman.com. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in tonight. We are going to lead off with one of the songs off of my debut album, Leave It All Behind, which is on iTunes. And you can find that by searching Carrie Edelman. And let me pick a song that I haven't played in a while. Um, Let's see what we have here. All right, I'm going to do Run tonight. So let's check out Run. It's one of the songs off of my debut album. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in, and have a great night.